Hi and welcome to the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening. On this episode of the Journalism Salute, we're joined by Hadar Harris of the Student Press Law Center. The SPLC is an independent, nonpartisan 501c3, which works to promote, support, and defend the First Amendment and press freedom rights of high school and college journalists and their advisors. It is based in Washington, D.C. This is Scholastic Journalism Week, which we discussed two episodes ago with P.J. Cabrera, Friday, February 26th, as he mentioned, is Student Press Freedom Day. The theme is Journalism Against the Odds. Hi, Hadar. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you so much for having me. All right, so I have the short version, uh, the 32nd version of what your group does. Can you go a little bit more in depth? Can you explain what the SPLC does and what you do specifically in your role? Sure, absolutely. So thanks for having me so much uh, on this show. The um, Student Press Law Center was founded in 1974. And since 1974, we've done exactly what you described. We support, promote, and defend the rights of students the First Amendment rights of student journalists and the advisors who support them. We do that in a number of different ways. We have the first and only free legal hotline for student journalists or their advisors to call, staffed by staff attorneys, folks who can answer legal questions about anything ranging from copyright issues to freedom of expression, freedom of information issues, to issues with prior review and even prior restraint or censorship. We are available all the time to any student journalist who might need help. Um, And folks can sign up for an appointment with one of our staff attorneys through our website, www.splc.org. In addition to our legal hotline, we do an enormous amount of training Um, So we do that at student journalism conventions when those used to happen in person and we do it online too. We have a virtual speakers bureau where one of our um, experts from SPLC will zoom into your classroom or newsroom or meeting of student journalists to talk about a range of different issues. And recently we've started some skills building workshops. So recently we just had an op-ed writing boot camp that was led by Stephen Holmes, a member of our board, but former um, executive director of standards and practices at CNN. It was an amazing boot camp about how to write an op-ed. It's available on our website, um, and I would really urge people to take a look at it. We also have a summer media law and policy institute for law students and pre-law students who are interested in media law. And then we do new voices and we do Student Press Freedom Day and other public outreach um, activities. We can talk a little bit about New Voices and Student Press Freedom Day um, if you'd like as well. Yep, I, I will get to that. The, uh, first though, uh, you're the executive director. You were formerly a human rights attorney. What makes you passionate about student press issues? So my background is as an international human rights attorney. And um, in that role, I'm really interested in making systemic change. I want to change the landscape and fundamental principles that are so important to me and that I've worked on all over the world and in this country around transparency, accountability, and speaking truth to power. And so issues of fundamental justice with those frameworks and ensuring that there is youth leadership and youth voices in those issues is incredibly important to me. So it was a natural fit for me. Student journalists have a job to do. 
The independent press is key to a participatory democracy and nobody should be censored. So for me, passion about student press law issues might come from a different place than for, for journalists or for First Amendment lawyers. But as a human rights issue, I find it to be very compelling. Can you give us an example of what someone in your position does on a day-to-day -day basis, like an example of what you did at work within the last couple of days? What I did today. So let's see. I started off by checking in with um, the coaches that we have, professional journalists and educators who are working with students who went through our op-ed boot camp to write op-eds for Student Press Freedom Day. I completed a white paper that we're issuing tomorrow about censorship in the year 2020 and what happened for student journalists this year. I discussed a very problematic censorship case, which is emerging in the Midwest um, with our legal team, talking about what we might do and steps we might take to kind of raise the profile of that case if we need to. I checked in with student leaders and board members in Texas to see that they are okay given the terrible weather, the storms and the blackouts that folks are experiencing down there. So I just did a quick check-in with them. We had a staff meeting and then I stressed out about a zillion emails that I need to send or to return. <laughs> and I wondered if we have enough coffee to make it through until Student Press Freedom Day on February 26th. <laughs> okay, so onto, onto something, uh, off, of, off of that answer, just onto something uh, like what you were talking about before. Uh, give us an overview of, uh, I want to get into a couple of initiatives, one specifically new voices. Explain what that is. So New Voices is an incredible, nonpartisan, independent, grassroots, student-driven initiative to, to adopt, you know, to create and adopt state-based student press freedom legislation. That means it's an effort to create legislation and get it adopted on the ground, um, new laws that will protect student press freedom and knowledge forms. As you know, in 1988, the Supreme Court um, came down with the Hazelwood versus Kuhlmeyer decision, which allowed for public school administrators to basically censor student journalists' work for any quote unquote legitimate pedagogical concern. Well, that's a really overbroad, really, really vague kind of standard that has allowed overzealous legislators, I mean, overzealous administrators at schools, principals, to censor student work, like if it was embarrassing to the school, if they didn't like the content, if it was something that they thought was going to be controversial, or maybe the parents didn't, you know, that they thought that parents would get upset about. That's not the standard by which they should be reviewing student work. And so... In order to counteract the decision around Hazelwood, the New Voices movement was founded to get state-based legislation passed, state by state, to secure press freedom and the independence of student media um, and protections, ideally, for advisors also on the state-based level. So currently, we have New Voices legislation in place in 14 states. And this year we have legislation pending in, I believe, about 12 other states. And the movement is taking off and spreading and expanding across the country. 
both teachers that I've had on uh, previously, Alana Vandersloos in New Jersey, PJ Cabrera in Texas, mentioned uh, new voices and mentioned the idea of prior review and the issues that they as advisors have to deal with. Um, just to give an example, what is the state of that legislation in places like uh, for Alana in New Jersey, for PJ in Texas? Yeah, so in both, in both Texas and New Jersey, we've got bills that are pending. Um, and there are really well-organized and fabulous groups of advocates, both students and advisors and parents and uh, committed legislators who are working on legislation. Um, Texas is interesting because they have, uh, their legislature is only in session every other year and for a very short period of time. So their legislature just opened in January and we're excited for them to make some progress. In New Jersey, it's an election year this year, but they came so close last year, really, really close. And so, like I said before, I was on a call just a few minutes ago um, about uh, Student Press Freedom New Voices Forum that students are organizing next Thursday night um, on February 25th to talk with students telling their stories, legislators who are supporting this, this legislation, and Kathy Kuhlmeyer, um, who was the the named person in the Kulma, in the Hazelwood versus Kuhlmeyer case is going to be there to also speak about the importance of student press freedom. I feel like this uh, attaches to what we would call how a bill becomes a law uh, education. How long does it take for something to get passed? You know, it is very unusual for a bill to get passed and adopted in its first go round. And so it is usually an iterative process where Legislators really need to learn about the importance of the bill. Activists needs to, need to organize on the ground um, to make sure that they're kind of getting the attention of the right legislators who can help to get the bill passed. So some bills have passed on their first go round, but it's very unusual. And then we have like Washington State, which adopted their legislation in 2018, and it took them 13 years to get it adopted. Oof. They called it the zombie bill because it just kept coming back and coming back. But it's been adopted and it's being implemented. That's part of the work we do with New Voices too, is to follow up once a bill has actually become a law to make sure that the law is being implemented the way that it was envisioned. It's a testament to your group, uh, the determination to get something that took that many years uh, to eventually succeed, uh, certainly. Uh, it's going to succeed in all 50 states. It's just a matter of time. Um, student press freedom is very important, and we've got really committed students and, and advisors who are really committed to getting this new voices work done. What are some of the broader trends that you're seeing with censorship over the last year? So in 2020, student journalists really were working against all odds, and we articulate a variety of those reasons on the Student Press Freedom Day website. But there are four major things that folks were really encountering this year. One was certainly reporting in the time of COVID. And that meant a lot of different things, right? The way that people report needed to change. Instead of in-person interviews, they needed to, to be able to interview people via Zoom to find information, which might be harder to find because they were sending emails instead of going into school offices to get information. But at the same time, um, during COVID, 
the newsrooms themselves had to change the way that they were operating. Suddenly, print newspapers went all online, and that meant a very different editorial calendar. It also meant a different financial model for many people. So in addition to the COVID stuff, you also had to look at the fact that many programs were impacted very specifically and directly by adverse financial situations. So at the college level in particular, where advertising just shifted on a dime because of the lack of print publications anymore. Um, and they had to go to a revenue generating model that shifted to all online. That was a huge challenge for folks. The third area that really challenged student journalists this year was the reporting of protests, not just racial justice protests, but also election oriented protests and things that were going on in their community. The reporting at the protests themselves was challenging because oftentimes student journalists, just like professional journalists, were targeted by law enforcement or sometimes by protesters because of an anti-media perspective. And for student journalists who look young and sometimes got confused with protesters, they were, they were sometimes really in jeopardy. We worked on a lot of issues of um, student journalists who had been detained or who had been targeted in some way or another over the summer. And then I would say this whole kind of general piece of civic engagement. This was a year of so many huge stories and student journalists sat on in the front seat, in the front row, to be able to report on how the pandemic was impacting their community, their families. You know, we have 74 million students from kindergarten to graduate school in college um, who were suddenly learning remotely. That's a huge shift for a massive percentage of the population of this country. And student journalists were on the front line of that. So um, student journalists have done amazing work this year against so many different odds. And yet there are wonderful examples of how they stood up, how they spoke truth to power, how they overcame censorship and how they really did their jobs. Sounds like plenty to keep, uh, to keep you very, very busy leading up to uh, Press Freedom Day and beyond. As for Press Freedom Day, uh, what can someone like me do to help the cause? So you should go on to studentpressfreedom.org, which is the website for Student Press Freedom Day. And there's a whole range of information there about ways you can get involved. There's a take action part and a toolkit. You can look at 21 excellent stories um, that have been reported against the odds this year. And you can look at the four core issues that we're focusing on about the challenges that student journalists have faced this year targeting and censorship of student journalists. We, did, we, we talked a little bit about, but that targeting of student journalists who were covering protests um, out uh, across the, the, the year this year has been a big deal. Journalism in the time of COVID, like those access to information questions and reporting on how COVID has hit your school community, reckoning with racial justice which is a whole range of reporting that's been done by student journalists, and then elevating civic engagement. Remember that this year, 2020, um, we had a, a, a very visible election, and you had one in 10 voters between the ages of 18 and 24. And so youth engagement in the election, in voting, and in civic engagement, including in journalism itself, has been extremely important. So we're focusing on those issues. I would really direct people to 
the website to look at ways they can get involved. They can write an op-ed. They can join us for a Student Press Freedom Town Hall meeting, which is going to be on Thursday, February 25th at 8 p.m. Eastern. They can sign up to attend that through this website. Um, and then on Thursday, the 25th until Saturday, uh, February 27th, in collaboration with Good Docs, we are sponsoring watch parties for anyone interested in screening the amazing documentary, Raise Your Voice, which is a great film about student journalism and the history of free speech using the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas student journalists um, in Parkland, Florida, um, as the example. And it's a great film. It's a great source for discussion and celebration about the importance of student journalism really against the odds. So right. I've, I've added that to my to-do list. That's, I appreciate that you brought that up. Absolutely. Um, what advice do you have for someone interested in pursuing a career in legal issues as relates to media? I always ask an advice question, so I wanted to get this one in. Yeah, sure. You know, so we've been doing a lot more of a focus on helping to train people who are interested in going to lawyer law school or people who are in law school. So last summer we launched what we call the student, the summer media law and policy Institute. It was several weeks last summer. It was all on zoom. It will be this summer as well of really task oriented and hands-on training um, led by experts from all across the country for both pre-law students and law students who are interested in media law. It's really important to diversify the media law field, and it's really important for students who are interested in law to learn about media law as an option. So we have that specific training that will take place this summer, and there will be information up on our website soon about how to apply for that workshop. And then also take a look at all of the great resources that are available, both at the, on the SPLC website, the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press, at the Committee to Protect Journalists. There are a whole bunch of organizations that are doing really important media law work. The ABA Communications Forum on Law, or the Law Forum on Communications, the Media Law Resource Center. There are a variety of organizations doing really important work. Folks can, can learn a lot even before they go to law school. Sounds like something that 20-year-old me, uh, who loved his press law class, uh, would have particularly appreciated. Uh, well, I think you just answered this, but I'm going to ask it to close it out. Uh, is there a journalism organization other than ones that you're affiliated with that you would like to salute? So I want to give a shout out to all the student journalists who were doing great journalists, journalism against all the odds this year. There were so many challenges this year, but in particular, I really want to shout out to the students of color, Black journalists in particular, who were covering really challenging content that is challenging every day in their lives, and yet um, we're elevating and amplifying and focusing in on the conversations, the very necessary conversations that have been going on in their communities for so long, um, but that really hit a wider audience over the summer. There's amazing journalism being done at HBCUs and at other publications by journalists of color. And I think that needs to be elevated and amplified. For Black History Month this, this month, we are highlighting uh, editors-in-chief of four different um, HBCU newspapers. Right now, we just put up a profile of the editor of the um, Morgan State Statesman uh, newspaper. And she's got amazing experiences to share 
and amazing perspectives. So when I shout out folks right now, I want to shout out journalists of color who are doing incredible work um, reporting on really important stories and um, amplifying their voices. Excellent. I, I appreciate that. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Mark. The Student Press Law Center works at the intersection of law, journalism, and education to promote, support, and defend the First Amendment and press freedom rights of student journalists and their advisors at the high school and college level. The SPLC uses the law to help students of all ages meaningfully participate in civic life and learn essential skills, ethics, and values through the vehicle of journalism. The SPLC provides information, training, and legal assistance at no charge to student journalists and the educators who work with them. For more information, go to splc.org. As Hidar mentioned, one of the nice things about the SPLC website is that it spotlights the work of scholastic and collegiate journalists. One such spotlight was on the students of Kirkwood High School, who adapted the 1619 Project to tell the stories of racism and the resilience of the African-American community in a suburb of St. Louis, Missouri. That episode will be posted on Thursday, February 25th. Hope you tune in. Welcome to Journalism History, a podcast that rips out the pages of your history books to re-examine the stories you thought you knew and the ones you were never told. I'm Terry Finneman, and I research media coverage of women in politics. And I'm Nick Hershaw, and I research the history of New York sports. And I'm Ken Ward, and I research the journalism history of the Great Plains and Rocky Mountains. Find the Journalism History Podcast at journalism-history.org slash podcast, and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. The Journalism Salute is dedicated to the memory of Dr. Robert Cole, who ran the journalism program at Trenton State College, the College of New Jersey, for more than 30 years. Cole is remembered as the father of journalism, who was integral to the birth of the department. He taught students that journalism was not an art, but an exact science with its own set of unbreakable rules. His philosophy was that if you want to get the job done as a reporter, you have no choice but to goyakad, a Dr. Cole original mnemonic device for get off your ass and knock on doors. Get off your ass and knock on doors, yes. He used a lot of profanity. Cole was such a larger-than-life personality, and he was also, he had an approach to teaching that was imbued with the force of his personality. He was, he was very much a traditional a uh, journalist, very much a traditional newspaper man. And to him, that that was journalism. I came from a magazine writing writing background. You know, he would sometimes, you know, refer to magazine writing as prostitution. And and that has to do with the, the way that magazines would sometimes make agreements to shape content around, you know, whatever ads they sold. Kim Pearson, an associate journalism professor at the college, admired Cole for his unparalleled dedication to his students as both a professional mentor and friend. When he retired, I have to say easily 300 former students showed up. We'd be on the phone with each other at 10, 10 o'clock at night talking about a student who, you know, how do we help a student who's having a crisis? His dedication to students was unparalleled, you know, they all had his home phone number. And, um, you know, his wife can tell you that, um, you know, any hour of the day or night, they, they had permission to call. 
I'm Emmy Lederman, College of New Jersey, Class of 2021. Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. Please let us know what you think of the show. You can find us on Twitter at JournalismPod, and you can email us at JournalismSalute at gmail.com.